Last week, I uh, filed away a brief devotion. Uh, it was sent to me by a friend, um, a high school buddy, who is uh, now a campus pastor uh, at an Ivy League school. He played a small part in my coming to faith years ago. Uh, we had lost touch for 25 years or more, <clears throat> reconnected. He writes a daily devotion, and I read it pretty much every day. Uh, and this one was framed as advice for Thanksgiving from the Apostle Paul. The idea was that um, Turkey and uh, football was just a few days away and there are some things that we could do to ensure that uh, the worst thing that happened to us on Thursday is that we uh, overeat, gain weight, and uh, fall into a, a food coma <clears throat> for a few hours. It was a, a clever play on Colossians chapter 3. He talks about the importance of what we should wear, what we should dress ourselves in when we go down to Thanksgiving dinner. His suggestion was that we clothe ourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience that we put on our new nature in Christ. So when I read this, uh, I uh, immediately filed it away. It, uh, it, it got my attention for a couple reasons. It's not really my style, uh, a little bit too clever for that. But I realized that uh, it did speak, uh, for the first part, to uh, the passage we're going to look at today out of Romans chapter 12. And it also spoke directly to one of the concerns that I have about your upcoming week. <laughs> so after reading this devotion, it occurred to me that uh, over the last 40 years, my friend uh, who has been in ministry has had uh, a similar set of experiences uh, that I have had and has come to realize that um, holidays can be very stressful. So I grew up in a family that had big holidays, um, Thanksgiving, especially Christmas. It was, you know, it was grandparents and, and aunts and uncles and great aunts and cousins and lots of people. Uh, and, and for all of that, there was very little uh, family drama. Uh, and I was perhaps not very clued in to the, whatever drama was going on. Uh, consequently, I did not realize until a few years into ministry that not everyone looks forward to the holidays. Not every family gets along. Uh, not everyone wants to answer Aunt Polly's questions about their love life or about their job or about how much money they make or about how much they weigh. Not everyone wants to be compared to their cousin. Not everyone reads the memo to be careful not to drink too much. It turns out that there are lots of 25-year-olds that don't like sitting at the kids' table anymore. And it turns out that there are lots of 25-year-olds that don't like sitting at the adult table either. It turns out that not every family agrees about politics, CRT, and the vaccine. One of my big surprises early as a pastor was uh, how much noise got created as we came around the uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas and New Year's corner of the calendar. 
uh, how many people were particularly stressed during this time. Now, if that's not you, if you have only happy memories about uh, this time of year, if you're only looking forward to whatever is going to unfold for you this week, then hey, uh, that is awesome. You win the holiday lottery. I hope you understand how much you have to be thankful for. You still need to listen to what I am going to say out of Romans chapter 12. If you are someone who finds yourself increasingly apprehensive about the next week or perhaps really uh, not sleep at night anxious or just out and out depressed uh, at this time of year, then you particularly want to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul says. So we're in Romans chapter 12. Uh, This is the, the, the chapter that sort of informs the whole renewal series that is gonna be unfolding over the course of this year. Um, Romans was written by Paul, who was the the zealous Jewish Pharisee who has the dramatic conversion to Christ. He comes to understand that uh, religion doesn't work. Religion classically defined, we cannot be religious enough, we can't be good enough, we can't be moral enough, we can't try hard enough to reach up to God. Uh, the, the sin gap, we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, God has to reach down, that's what he does, that's the gospel, that's the good news, that God so loved the world, that he gave his son, sent his son on this rescue mission, a, a, a rescue mission in which he dies, uh, in our place, so that we can be reconciled, restored, forgiven, born again, adopted into the family of God. That's the good news. Paul came to understand that. And then uh, Paul was uh, commissioned. He's initially sort of on the sidelines. He gets coached, discipled. He, he gets schooled. That's probably a couple years. And then he comes out and in this, um, you know, only God kind of plan, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And he travels around, and he plants all these churches, and he writes all these letters back to the churches and to people. One of them is Romans. And so last week in the third, excuse me, in the second of the three sermons that we're doing right here in Romans 12, in the second of the sermons, the apostle Paul, uh, he, he uh, sort of gives us uh, advice about how we are to move forward. I shared in that sermon that the book of Romans is lots of people's favorite book. It's a profound book historically. The impact it's had on all kinds of, uh, of the titans of the faith is, is quite well known. And that when you get to Romans chapter 12, that you also get to this pivot point. And so you sort of move out of the theological part into a little bit more practical part. Now there's Theology is very practical. I don't like that kind of dichotomy. But you move out of sort of big ideas and theological insights into God and human nature and sin and salvation and all that. And you move into this very specific uh, sort of almost grocery list set of instructions. And so that's been the last couple of weeks. We've been working our way through that. And uh, today we are going to uh, look at the last part of Romans chapter 12. And uh, you're going to hear advice from Paul. And I think it's great advice to help you navigate the, any potentially uh, challenging conversations you're going to have with whoever you know, the weird aunt or uncle or cousin is uh, that will be at uh, attending Thanksgiving with you. By the way, every family has, you know, 
that person that says the most egregious things, that person who causes the problems. Every family seems to have one. Uh, If you don't know who it is in your family, might be you. Uh, I'm not sure that they always know, just saying. So uh, let me... Let me just walk us through this passage, pull it apart, and then we'll, we'll dive down on uh, a, a couple verses here. So this is, uh, this is the counsel for your week. This is Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. <laughs> so you can tell. This is going to be countercultural kind of stuff. Not the stuff, I think, that uh, the cable news people read before they go on the air. So countercultural, but very practical. Uh, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So when we rejoice with people who are joyful, it sort of doubles the joy. And when we come alongside and, uh, and mourn, uh, with those who mourn, we sort of divide the pain and the grief in half. The world would be a lot better if we would rejoice with those who are joyful and we would mourn with those who are struggling. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. And you go, well, right. <laughs> Paul uh, obviously had not met my cousin. Uh, she is the one who is going to show up at the Thanksgiving meal. Right, with, um, I don't know, wearing uh, a MAGA hat, or she is going to be uh, uh, citing the uh, wisdom and uh, all the insight from the last press release from the squad, or she is going to uh, set her gun on the table and talk about the merits uh, of uh, joining the NRA, or she is going to force all of us to have a piece of her uh, her vegan turkey loaf, and she's going to hand out pictures from you know turkey processing. Uh, you, you know you've not met her. She's going to bring up the last school board meeting. She's going to do something, and it's she's going to try and dominate the conversation. She's going to ruin Thanksgiving, just like she always does. How do I get along with her? Well, we got to keep reading. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Now, that's not a very uh, 21st century politically correct way to state this. Uh, these are people that other people, people of low position, these are people that, that uh, other people are not choosing to hang around with. And uh, these, of course, are all generally the people that Jesus tended to move very directly towards. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Well, that's impossible, you say. Um, Maybe, but maybe not. On to our next verse, and this is our verse. This is verse 18. This is the key verse here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, uh, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then moving on, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now, this uh, heaping burning coals metaphor, which shows up a couple times in Paul's writing, it's very surprising to people. It seems pretty not very Christian of uh, Paul to say that. It's debated in exactly what it means. So one theory says if, if somebody has done evil to you, somebody has wronged you, somebody has hurt you, and you respond with kindness, that will uh, sort of uh, sear their conscience, and they will feel guilty, and uh, they will be, uh, you know, th- that's in one sense, by being kind, you're getting your revenge. The other idea is that, that uh, this whole idea of burning coal speaks to fire, speaks to God's judgment. You're, you're letting judgment rest with God. He will work it out. Look, let, let's, let's keep the main thing the main thing. What is it that we are being told in this passage? So let me start by saying what we are not being told. What we are not being told is that if we will simply be kind, everything will be okay. You might hear it that way, but that's not actually all that's going on. Now, I'm not against kindness. Kindness, I mean, it beats cruelty, and kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, some of you ought to try more kindness, uh, actually. It, it, It can help. But this goes beyond kindness. This is a call to civility. This is a call to figure out how to get along with people you want to write off. This is a call to decide to care about what is going on in conversations and in culture. This is a call to decide to love and treat well those with whom you profoundly disagree. My my views on the importance of civility have changed over the years. Uh, I was reminded of this uh, yesterday. I was... um, uh, uh, well, a couple days ago, I was recording the podcast, the history podcast that plays on Saturdays, and I've sort of come, we've come to the 18th century now, and we're taking on the topic of slavery, an exhausting topic to read about, uh, very just uh, harsh and disappointing and, and all of that. But Wilberforce is this young British member of parliament who is a source of encouragement in this. He comes to faith, and as a result of his faith, he spends the rest of his life working on uh, the cause of stopping the slave trade in, in Britain and then in the British Empire, and then to try and get the slaves freed. Wilberforce, and he was, uh, he was uh, in a movie, I think 2006, Amazing Grace is the name of the movie. It's a good movie, you ought to watch it. And it, John Newton, the guy who disciples Wilberforce, Newton had been a slave trader, and then uh, comes to faith and, it, and eventually become a pastor and he disciples Newton. Uh, and and Wilberforce, Newton had kept Wilberforce in parliament to work. You know, this is your life's mission. So Wilberforce sort of has two big things that he does. Mostly he's known by people for his, his work to end uh, slavery. He also uh, said that his other big cause was, uh, quote, the promotion of manners. And uh, I remember when I first ran across this, and, and uh, he had a book out. Uh, it's called, this is common of uh, uh, books in the 18th century, very long title. Uh, a Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System of Professed Christians in the Higher and Middle Classes in this Country Contrasted with Real Christianity. <laughs> so, 
Uh, it's, it's often just referred to as real Christianity. And this, I, and when, I, when I heard about this, I'm like, slavery, ending slavery. Uh, what an incredible, uh, incredibly noble undertaking. Reforming manners in the 18th century, uh, like teaching politeness. Well, so I didn't really look at this for 20 years, but that's not what he's talking about. Uh, manners refers to civility. It refers to uh, ways that Christians move in culture. And, uh, and it turns out to be a very significant thing that he was advocating for. I also, it um, wasn't just Wilberforce. I, I, uh, I, my thinking about civility was shaped also when we did uh, a couple months ago, uh, we're going to start this, this uh, institute in, in 2022, 20, uh, and, and one of the aspects of the institute is sort of uh, uh, engaging various topics out in the public arena, and we had this dinner with a, just a small group to discuss pluralism, to, to talk about how culture is going to work and how Christians ought to think about all this. And, and in order to help be part of that discussion, I had to do a lot of reading on pluralism, and that was promoting aspects of civility. And I, I was not actually as interested in the topic as we were trying to just figure out the format of having challenging conversations around dinner and, and how we might roll some of that out. Um, and then uh, I, I also was influenced by, um, by Tim Keller and uh, John Anazu and uh, Jonathan Haidt, who had conversations about uh, civility and how Christians ought to think about this moment in the public square. And I'm going to put that stuff in my notes. There's, a, there's an hour uh, and a half discussion between Haidt and Keller, uh, hosted by the Veritas Forum uh, out east, that's, that's important to watch, I think. Um, so I think there's a lot, there's more to this conversation, there's more importance to this idea uh, of creating virtuous society and, and what it looks like to be salt and light and what it looks like to work in a, in a more contentious kind uh, of arena. And um, to that end, I'll step back and say, I, I think we have stuff to learn here out of Romans chapter 12. Now, I believe that the biggest way, <laughs> let me be clear, I think the best chance you have of having a, a good Thanksgiving if you are there with uh, people with whom you have not historically seen eye to eye or gotten along, I think the, the biggest way forward is actually the earlier part of Romans chapter 12. It's what we looked at yesterday. It's this call to be joyful in hope. And hope is not just wishing, it is the certitude that comes around the promises of Christ. And so I, I, I want to say, look, uh, you know, if you go into the Thanksgiving meal and your anger cup is full of anger, Right? I mean, I've used that illustration before. We've all got cups that we're carrying around, and, and some people have got a whole lot of liquid in that cup, a whole lot of anger. And so you just jostle them a little bit, and it spills out. And some people have got virtually none. They, they keep no anger in the cup. And so when you, when you bump, bump them, nothing spills out. And so as Christians, right, we, we, need, to, we need to be in the spot where we, we're carrying no anger in the cup. 
and, and where we are joyful based on the promises of God. We are, we are going to that hope. We, we don't understand how everything is going to work out in the short run. But in the long run, it's good. We know it's good. Like we, God wins. We are betting on Jesus. We are betting on the empty tomb. We're betting on the promises of God. We are, our hope is, is set above. Our heart is on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're not saying, I got to win here. And I got to win this conversation. And I got I to protect my honor and my ideas. And, and so we're just, we're just swinging back. No, it's, we, you, if, if you go in with a, with a cup that's pretty full, then it's going to spill all over other people. And, and there's your thanksgiving. So I, I want to I remind you, right, that, <laughs> that we're not promised that we're going to win on this side of the grave. God wins. Jesus wins. The king, his kingdom comes. So we, this will end well. You can be more certain uh, about your future than watching a rerun of yesterday's college football games when you know the score. You know how it's going to end. We have greater certitude in the character and the promises of God. And what we're told about, about this life is that it's going to be challenging. But what we are told is that in this life, we are to be people who love. We are to be people who forgive. We're to be people who are patient. We're to be people who are kind. We're to be people who care for our enemies. And so we ought to be in a position to absorb some of the anger in the system and to radiate the joyful hope that we have because the tomb is empty and Jesus rose from the dead. So I want to say your best bet for a Thanksgiving that works, your best bet for getting along with your weird uncle and whatever he is going to say or your weird aunt, whatever she's going to say or whoever it is, your best bet is to have the joyful hope that comes from Christ. So I want to push you in that direction, but I do think that the second half of Romans chapter 12 provides what we could think of as uh, tactics uh, that will lead us forward. Tactics is not quite a big enough word. Uh, but, but between now and then, I have, I, between now and the end, I have no idea how things are going to end, but there are steps that we can take that help us mitigate some of the challenges and some of the anger in the system. Because, hey, I will say this. I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not certain I always know the best response to some things uh, that, that, I, that people may say, but I know that uh, as a general rule, Jesus doesn't say that if you yell louder or you have more sarcastic put-downs than uh, they do, that you win. Right? That, that's, that's not Jesus' approach. Like if you have the most cutting uh, comebacks, you win. No, that's in fact not what Jesus is saying. So I'm not suggesting that this is easy, but I think there's great opportunity here to grow in the love and the grace 
of, of Christ. It's, again, as I've said, you know, on and off for the last year and a half, it, it's, it's a little tough out there, crazy days and crazy nights. Uh, I find myself increasingly uh, drawn to uh, Yeats's poem, Things Fall Apart, The Center Cannot Hold, Mere Anarchy is Loosed Upon the World, The Blood-Dimmed Tide is Loosed and Everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Yeats was writing about a a countryside that was uh, ravaged by war and a church that had been sidelined because it was not uh, able to, uh, it was not able or it was unwilling to provide the kind of moral leadership that was needed to speak to the problems. I think the key line, the memorable line, is this idea that the center will not hold. But I I think the the line that I uh, increasingly find myself uh, drawn to is the one, the best lack all conviction, (laughs) while the the worst are full of passionate intensity. I I increasingly think that um, historian Martin Marty from the University of Chicago is right when he, when he says people who are good at being civil often lack strong convictions, and people who have strong convictions often lack civility. Uh, We are called to be people of conviction (laughs) and people of civility. So this has never been easy. And uh, look, these conversations that I've been in about pluralism, these conversations about this study I've been doing about history, generally speaking, whoever has power, whoever has cultural purchase, whoever has slightly more votes tends to try and force their way on other people. Uh, Those who held the reign of cultural power during the 80s and 90s, lots of times people who identified as Christians were often... uh, very harsh to those on the other side of the discussions and the debates. So uh, today, cultural power has shifted, but those newly come to power show as little interest in having discussions that are, um, that are calm uh, and as little interest in, in sort of genuine pluralism uh, as the, the people of the past. If anything, the conversations seem to be more uh, toxic and more caustic. Um, The agenda has become not to engage with others, but to try and marginalize and silence others. What will it take to get uh, to move forward in this kind of world? Again, I think Paul's counsel in the last part of Romans chapter 12 is our advice. Um, I don't think that we necessarily see the, the wins that we think we might want to see in culture or in the ballot box or in the courtroom. Uh, I think that we see the wins that honor God through love and humility and patience. Um, by the way, I'm not suggesting love means that, you know, we just go along to get along. And I'm not suggesting that uh, patience means that anyone becomes uh, a doormat or that humility means that we've got uh, to sacrifice our convictions. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. This is all really complicated stuff. Uh, but I do think 
We are called as Christ followers to be people who stop speaking ill of other people and stop ascribing evil motives to people with whom we disagree. It, um, it means that we have got to find ways to be more loving and humble and less immediately defensive. I was asked the other day how to navigate contentious conversations. And I said, you know, it is a new day. And uh, I was specifically asked how to navigate sharing the gospel in, in the midst of contentious conversations. And I said, look, here's my take. My take is that uh, it's a new day and some people are more open than they've ever been in the past to hearing about Jesus because uh, they sense that something is changing and they sense that what we've been doing is not working. I think other people are far less likely to have any interest in Jesus right now, but, but what that means is that uh, we may not be the ones that get to share as much as we're the ones that, that sow or the ones that water. Uh, I shared before that uh, I felt pretty much like a failure in conversations about the gospel in college because when I graduated in the fraternity, we had tried to share the gospel with lots of people. It didn't see a lot of, of people responding, but that you know, now, 30, what, five years later, there's lots of people who are, are far more focused on Jesus. It's very fun to see. Uh, and I have for a handful of years been, been quietly reaching out to uh, a person that uh, I've met through uh, a business um, that I frequent and, um, and this person has not been receptive to any of my efforts to steer the conversation in spiritual directions. But in the last week, uh, some crises uh, in, in the family of this person has now led them to be in a very different spot. And I think what we are invited to do, instructed to do, dare I say it, commanded to do, is we're to be the kinds of people who are loving and patient and kind. We're the kinds of people who are resilient. We're the kinds of people who can absorb anger without, you know, spitting it back out. We're the kind of people who say kind things, not evil, ugly, acerbic things to people with whom we disagree. We are the kind of people who ask more questions and don't demand the opportunity to get our point of view across. We're the kind of people that are playing the long game. And we can do this. We can, we can absorb this because we have the big win. <laughs> like, we don't have to wonder whether or not this is going to end well because we have the joyful hope that comes through the, the confidence in the person and the work and the promises of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you uh, to ask the Lord to drain your cup of anger, to fill you with the joyful hope, and that your uh, experience at Thanksgiving is that you can roll with the punches and you can roll with the conversation and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to take, uh, take the bait and enter into these discussions, uh, but that you can do so with a genuine love for the people with whom you might not get along. We get really practical advice for Thanksgiving from Paul in Romans chapter 12. Father, may we be the people 
who are full of the Spirit of God, full of the joy that comes from uh, you and our relationship with you and the promises that you give us and are able to uh, be, be friendly, loving, uh, generous, patient, kind brothers and sisters or sons and daughters or parents or nieces and nephews, whatever it is, Father, we pray for your um, your oversight uh, of our week and our time, especially on Thursday. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.